Kongs Archons. Welcome to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss various topics regarding combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake and Sir Dan. Welcome back to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast. This is your host, Jake, and joined by my wonderful co-host, Dan Johnson. How's it going today, sir? Hey, 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 Jake. How you doing? I'm doing well over here, you know, uh, rocking that dad brain still, rocking that sleep deprivation, firing on half cylinders. Life is good. I'm doing good, too. Uh, No beer this time, but I do have a water and a coffee, so... I think that'll really get me into the zone here. Uh, And I'm excited about the topic today. This is something that generated a ton of buzz and discussion in our Discord. So I think it'll be a good one to dig into. Yeah, there was a a day, I don't know, it was like three or four days ago. It became a hot topic in the podcast episodes. So yeah, here we are talking about it on a podcast episode. Speaking of that, actually, uh, before we jump into our inspiration, I wanted to shout out to our newest Patreon donor, Sean Shepard. Thank you very much for your $4 uh, contribution. And then thanks to everyone else who's supporting us on Patreon. Y'all are far too kind. Thank Thank you, you, Patreon Archons. So I think that's the only announcement today. Uh, You ready to jump into our weekly inspiration? Yeah, sure. You go first. I just wanted to uh, shout out a really great tweet I saw recently by at one star peeps on Twitter. And this was the tweet. He says, uh, the least successful cards of the vault tour Collinsville were Charette and Ghostly Hand with 20 and 28 appearances in day one and zero in day two. Uh, so I think that's just really cool data point to have. I think it's awesome that uh, vault tour Collinsville published all the decks that participated so that uh, this type of research is possible. Uh, so thanks a lot, One Star Peeps, for putting in the time to dig through that data and come up with this really cool uh, and interesting data point, because uh, I think those are both strong cards. So it is interesting to see that they underperformed expectation relative to the field. So hopefully we can just uh, have more and more of this as this game continues to grow. I mean, we have an app tracking all our results so hopefully <laughs> we can even have this kind of results in uh, uh in data in what? an official capacity no uh, so that'd be great yeah I, I love this kind of stuff all right uh so my inspiration we started sanctimonious season league two of our archon triad format that kicked off last week with 72 people signed up i think i said that before but we had such a buzz that more people are like oh man i'm so sad that i missed it so we have a secondary second season league um that's gonna fire with at least two groups so we're gonna have two <laughs> two leagues running so that's insane and just pretty much everybody like uh all the efforts that are being combined all the people that are chatting in the discord and the uh thoughts ideas and everything just going around and people lending their talents to the community it's been amazing special shout out to sky jedi who continues to make us cool things for tabletop simulator um and then he updated the bot in the uh, his Archon Matrix bot to uh, actually display three um, deck lists side by side, like index card wise. So it's like perfect for the Archon Triad Triad League. 
because you're kind of getting more of a true sense of the test of Archon Triad by just seeing the index card. And you can just look at those three index cards and make your band based on that. And it gives you a much better indication of how to play Archon Triad. So thank you for those updates. Thank you for the sweet card backs for TTS. Um, yeah, cool stuff. I tweeted out my Triad lineup and it generates some pretty cool discussion on Twitter as well. Uh, so that's an awesome tool. Indeed. All right, this, this topic's meaty, so meaty. It's a meaty one. <laughs> Main topic today is Key Forge in real life, the IRL mind games that can be played, are played, will be played, learn to be played, um, and how far is too far. <laughs> kind of all of that wrapped up in a burrito, a little hot sauce. So we have uh, this kind of broken up into two topics, or two subtopics. The first is... Uh, reading your opponent, how you can kind of gain information about how your opponent's playing, how they're manipulating their hands and their cards that might give you information that you can then apply to the game to give yourself some edge. And then on the flip side of that coin would be uh, if your opponent is gaining information by reading uh, your actions, like how can you intentionally deceive your opponents through the actions you're allowing them to see? So let's, let's get started with that before we get into our second subtopic. So reading your opponent. So some of the tells that people have as you're playing in real life, which, you know, I, I played a lot of Magic back in the days. I, IRL, I haven't played as much Keyforge IRL, so maybe I'm not the best on this, but I do have some experience back from my MTG days sitting across the table. And one of the things you can kind of watch somebody do is a lot of people will order their cards as they draw them. Um, so, I mean, you can't get like an exact count of what a person has, but I mean, if they draw, so if they have three cards in hand and they put all three of them to the right of their hand, like maybe that indicates maybe they have four cards of one house in their hand because they did that, or maybe they've got five or six, like if they start mixing them, so if they put a couple to the right, a couple to the left, and then they shuffle a couple around, you can kind of extrapolate a little bit from that because people a lot of times just like to put all their houses together so it's kind of i mean it's it it takes a while and it depends on the person because some people will <laughs> the opposite side of that coin is is you can do that as kind of a deception too you can start ordering your hand ordering quote unquote your hand but you're not actually ordering it you're just putting them in a completely random order to maybe potentially throw off your opponent jake do you have any uh, insight into that as well I, i've talked a lot on this podcast about how i think that managing your own bandwidth to be able to interpret everything that's happening on the board and then think out as far as you can uh, is is crucial. And so for me, it really helps me to have my hand in order so I can see at a quick glance how many cards I have in a house as I'm making that decision. So I'm not having to go back to it and recount and recount like in the middle of my process of deciding what house to pick. So I mean, I think that's a just a really something that a lot of players do and definitely valid uh, way to pick up some hints about what might be in their hand. Yeah, and I think from my magic days, I think I kind of got into the habit of just not caring what order they are in my hand because that just gives up the least amount of information if you always just draw and pick them up into the same order. Like, it's not really giving away much. And, like, during your turn, if you want to kind of shuffle them together, like, it's it's a little bit harder to tell in the middle of your turn since you're going to be mm. playing a bunch of cards so your opponent's not really sure what happens. So, yeah, I guess best case 
if you want to avoid giving away this information is just kind of to leave them random in your hand till maybe your turn and then you can kind of shuffle together as needed so you're just not giving that information up as you're drawing the cards when your opponent really is probably super focused on you since they're waiting for your turn to end and that's kind of the last step is for you to draw cards so all eyes are on you on that point so just be aware of how you're drawing and what you're drawing and what you're doing with them when they're coming to your hand. It was actually kind of interesting. So VT Collinsville, the judges actually had people put their hands down and draw face down onto the table. And a few people such as Dr. Sheep, who we had on last week, um, just made a conscious effort to leave them on the table and not give away anything and just kind of observe their opponent's turn. So something to keep in mind. And under the new judges, like that's going to be the way they're going to want you to draw your cards on day two. I don't know if it was like a requirement requirement for day one, but I know they did have the players meeting for day two, and that was their preferred method for drawing cards. So maybe it's something you just practice to get in the habit of. Why don't we uh, move on to the next one, which is a common way you can pick up information, which is your opponent is going through their turn. You know, they're untamed. They play this card. They play this card. They reap, you know, do some actions with cards they already have out. And then when they seem to be running out of steam, instead of just passing the turn back to you right away, uh, they wait and deliberate for a moment longer. And that is very often a telltale sign that they're holding on to at least one untamed card. Maybe that's the key charge. They're deciding whether they can discard it, whether they should discard it now or save it for a later point. Uh, But Whenever you see that happening, that's a really good sign that your opponent is potentially holding on to something uh, that that might be something for you to be aware of, play around later in the game. Yep, and that happens too a lot with cards that control amber. So things like charrettes, like a lot of people are hesitant to play a charrette for not full value, even though we just talked about charrette not getting there. But that's a card where sometimes it just feels weird to play it when you have when your opponent has zero amber or one amber since you're not really getting the full effect of the shred. So sometimes you can kind of read that. So if they go a disc turn, play like two cards, they're kind of hemming and hawing. Maybe you can, and you know there's a shred in their list. Like maybe it's the shred. Maybe um, it's a shuler. Because again, playing shuler when they're at less than three. So just kind of, you can kind of make some of those calls in your mind if they do that pause. And then again, the flip side of that coin, if you want to kind of, convey some mysterious information you could only have say two to three cards of a house play them all and then kind of hem and haw looking at your hand to kind of maybe give the impression that maybe you have another card and then they're picking up that information that we just said oh maybe they have Schuler, maybe they have charrette and maybe just that kind of little bit of indecision of them thinking you have something you don't have can force them to play maybe in a suboptimally play the next turn so um, kind of a another kind of two-sided coin where you can use it to your advantage or you can almost read too much into it at times. So again, it's just like one of those things you have to kind of, yeah, it's tricky in real life. There's a lot of things to read and kind of figure out, but just be aware that that's a thing. Uh, Shadows, I think, is another house that you do a lot of don't play all the cards out of your hand. Like bait and switch back in the day was definitely a card you might hold for a couple turns just in case if you're about to forge that key. Um, the new one now today is too much to protect people. That's kind of like the big insurance from a big burst turn. So a lot of times that'll hang up in somebody's hand for a few turns to try to set up a situation where it can hit for maximum value. The third one we have here on reading your opponent is reading into what your opponent may ask to see during their turn. So for instance, if they ask to take a look at your discard pile, that is a clue that they might have 
uh, mimicry in their hand, for instance, to be able to play a card out of your discard pile. So if they ask to see your discard pile, don't choose untamed. Maybe that's something you want to be aware of on a future turn. Um, similarly, if they're looking at their own discard pile, maybe that's a clue that they have something like an exhume uh, or, or a reverse time, something Arise, along those lines. Not finished uh, so, with you, Glimmer. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, there's, yep. there's quite a few. But uh, so, I mean, I think that is something you want to at least have in the back of your mind. In many cases, these aren't going to drastically change the lines you take. But if it's 50 50, uh, and they just ask to see your discard pile, and one of your plays involves putting a really impactful action into your discard pile, and the other one you think is just as good does not, uh, then maybe you take that line without giving them a juicy target of their own. Yeah, and a lot of this advice, I mean, is very pertinent in Archon and, and Sealed. I mean, it's a little bit more of a crapshoot because you don't know what's in your opponent's deck. So a lot of this advice is really more geared towards Archon, just to make that clarification right now, because in Sealed, you just, you don't know. Like, sometimes you just have to play and hope, hope they don't have it. I actually don't agree with that, personally, because I think, like, that, if you can get a read on an impactful card that they have in Sealed, that might make a huge difference in the game, even more so than in Archon. Like, for example, going back to the example about uh, them deliberating about playing a card, if you can get a read that they have it too much to protect in their hand, that you didn't know about from their Archon card or, or a key charge or a Chota or something like that, that could really be the difference between winning and losing that game. So I, I think it's relevant in both cases. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, you just, you don't know-know in a lot of these we're talking about. You kind of know-know. Right. But yeah, like other things to kind of keep in mind, if you have a Glimmer in your hand or if you have one of those cards that's going to go out of your own um, discard, like, so you're not telegraphing that to your opponent. If I mean... <laughs> There's so much stuff to track in the game. But if you're able to track your own discard without having to pick it up and look at it, I mean, you're saving yourself from giving up so much information to your opponent. Because every time you pick up your discard and look through your own discard, you're kind of tell like if you have those cards in your deck, you're kind of telegraphing that either you have them. Um, it's just, it's a big, it's a big signal that, oh, they're looking through, so they must have it. Again, like ways to deceive, I guess, is to look at your discard a lot. <laughs> like Don't like slow, don't slow the game down to a halt but just periodically just kind of look through your discard so it just kind of keeps your opponent off balance. The same thing with looking through their discard. Um, if you do have Mimicry or Control the Weak or any of those kinds of cards, it's good like in those games to maybe periodically every couple turns to just ask to see their discard so you can kind of keep a track on it and not really give up any information about when you draw that card. Because if the only time you ask to see their discard is when you have those cards in hand, it becomes a pretty easy tale to read for your opponent. Yeah, especially if you don't know it says that you're not doing a good job of tracking what actions they have because in that case you might pick up their discard pile and realize it's a bunch of junk and not want to play your mimicry that turn and now they know to play around it yep. i actually played a mimicry deck in the vault tour and in practicing with it i realized i'm terrible at tracking actions and that's just that's just not where my head's at in the game. I'm thinking about so much other stuff that I just don't, didn't have a good grasp on like what they've played previously. So in playing in a few Chainbound events with it, I realized that people were picking up on it. So I actually did, in the Vault Tour, implement that strategy of just every so often taking a look at their discard pile just to remind myself of what they had. It takes you know no more than 20 seconds to just quickly leaf through it hand it back to them so i don't think it's slowing down the game much and it has that added benefit of like literally every time i ask somebody to see their discard pile they look at me they're like huh got mimicry huh what, you know what, what 
Yeah. Like, so it, it does throw people off and they, you know, I don't know for sure, but it's possible and on one of those turns when I looked and they and did not have it, that maybe that did change their play to something slightly less optimal, thinking they're playing around something they really should not have been. We kind of talked about the deception. The deception plays are kind of clever tricks or plays to just kind of muddle the waters between you and your opponents. Like, you know, kind of those feints with sorting your cards but not actually sorting them or, you know, playing the two cards and hemming and hawing over a phantom card. Um, you know, things like that. Or I mean, you just playing like three cards really quick from a house and passing the turn really quick. So it looks like, yeah, you just dumped your hand, but maybe you did hold one back. And there's just different ways to kind of create that deception um, that I think... I think like those those ways are fine. Like if you're if you're doing that kind of thing, those are the kind of mind games I'm fine with. Like that's kind of the fun part about playing in real life is kind of using that poker face and kind of using some of that to maybe try to influence. Um, so I am okay with deception and, and those kinds of tactics where it's not overly theatrical. Like you're not trying to convey like that you didn't have the one answer you need, even though you did. So, like you literally say, "Oh man, I really needed to draw my too much to protect there," but you actually do have it in hand, you know and Let's get we'll get into that in a, in just a second, but um, right. so I think our our next topic we're going to touch on are, are things that get slightly more, as Dan is saying, theatrical, and that would be uh, when you're not no longer deceiving your opponent and you're trying to manipulate them into a course of action specifically. So, and I think that's just for the sake of clarity. Uh, that's kind of where I I think uh, it makes sense to draw the line when with deception, you're controlling the information that you reveal to your opponent with manipulation, you're trying to force them into a suboptimal line through theatrics of some kind. And I think most people would agree deception is fine. I think if you agree that like reading your opponent and is part of the game that should should and can be used to your advantage in the live game, then you sort of are forced to accept that deception in that way should also be allowed and part of the game. Yes, yes, yes. And like you said, the decept- the manipulation would be something like somebody plays a lights out and say you have like three sanctum creatures out and one shadows creature or something. I don't know. Like, But you kind of try to influence which creatures they bounce like by pointing to the ones that you want them to bounce, like something like that, where it looks like it's the obvious play to get rid of these guys. But you know, you know from what's in your hand that like it's actually better for you if they do bounce those creatures. So you're trying to like influence their decision there. Um, I mean, like in that case, once they play lights out, <laughs> I mean, I tend to just not look at my battle line anymore. I'm just like looking at my opponent, wait for them to make the decision because yeah, I don't want to uh, give away any information if you are accidentally looking at a creature that you don't want bounced or, you know, you can just pick up on little things like that again. So, I mean, there's another kind of, de- not deceive. I don't know. That's another reading your opponent. You play a lights out and maybe you see them glance at something and like, think maybe like that creature is very important for the next plan's turns and so you bounce that one or just different things you can pick up on there yeah i think it's anything that you do in between them playing the card and them choosing targets it, it could be seen as like intentionally trying to manipulate it. and i think that's one like you see a lot would be like somebody just like putting their hand like hovering it over the card that they think is very obvious to get returned to the hand and a lot of times it just is obvious like of course you're gonna return my dusk witch or whatever uh so i'm just gonna go ahead and like put my hand there and get ready to do it where it would become sort of manipulation would be if you do that on a card like you said that is actually the one you want them to return i think that this is a very gray line so i i'm i'm not willing to say for instance that that is 
explicitly against fair play. I think there are times when it, it's actually fine to do uh, in, in the live game, but there are also times when it crosses the line. So for me, in this same scenario, I think if you want them to return a card to your hand and you like point to it like with sort of an open palm, like asking a question like you're returning this right, I think that's fine. I mean, it's still your opponent's choice. Having said that, if you like actually manipulate your cards, like you like if they play something like a, a hand of dis and you like start putting one of your cards into your discard pile before they've done anything, like for me that crosses the line. Because then instead of just asking your opponent what you want to do and sort of like in a begging the question sort of way, like now you've actually changed the dynamic of that to where your opponent has to like stop and correct you. And to like somebody who is like very conflict adverse or something and doesn't want to, they might just go along with it. And to me, that crosses the line from like fair play to almost like bullying in in sort of a way of sort of like, I'm just going to like bully you into making the wrong choice by just doing it before you've told me what you want to do. Yeah. Like I still don't love the point to the card. Like, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to like hate on my opponent for doing it. I'm not going to do it myself. Like I'm just, like I said, I'm going to look at my opponent. I'm not going to look at my battle line. I'm just going to let them choose the targets. I'm not going to try to give away any information. Cause I just feel like anytime you point to something, like, I don't know, it feels like you're like, I don't know. I mean, you're probably not trying to pull something. Maybe it is just obvious one. Like you said, like dusk, Witch is pretty obvious. So like, yeah, having your hand by dusk, Witch is probably okay because that's probably going to get bounced. So you can't get the full effect from it. But if there are like two or three creatures in question, like reaching towards one and trying to like influence, I'm not, yeah, I don't feel super great about it. I, I think it is a, to- like an open question. And a lot of people in the discord have a lot of different opinions on this uh, and where they would draw the, draw the line of where what's okay and what's not. Some people don't really feel like even the deception part of things that we kind of feel like is fine is okay. Uh, so, you know, wherever you come down on this, uh, we are, we are certainly not the authority and all <laughs> no. be all on on what is right. Um, and clearly, we don't even necessarily see eye to eye on it, <laughs> which is why I think it's sort of important to have these questions as a community. So, if you have input, then I'd love to hear you chime in on Twitter, in the Discord, whatever. But let's do uh, one more kind of scenario I'll present to you, Dan, and let's sure. talk through that as well. All right, so this this is where sort of that deception of what you may or may not have in your hand kind of could turn into manipulation. I'll paint the picture. Uh, You're at the very end of the game. It's Archons. Your opponent knows what's in your deck. And you're both aware that you really would like to draw that key charge uh, that's still that you haven't seen yet in the game. Uh, You draw up to your hand. There's five cards left in your deck. uh, And you see that you've drawn your key charge right the card you need to win the game if your opponent doesn't take you off of your seven amber and you look at your opponent and you sigh dramatically (laughs) yeah i don't i don't love that one like the whole like oh i didn't draw what i didn't get or what i needed to win the game like yeah i kind of i describe myself in the in the discussion i'm like i'm the gregarious gamer i'm sitting across him i'm smiling i'm having a good time i'm making you know playful banter if the opponent is open to it like if they aren't like i can just sit across the table smile and play a good game of keyforge and just you know have a pleasant time but like yeah i feel like that's like the theatrical where it becomes it's more it's less deception and more manipulation when you're like giving false information to your opponent by doing that like i mean 
you are you're giving false information you're lying to your opponent about what you drew which i mean you don't need to tell your opponent what you drew anyways so i mean it's false information that doesn't even really need to be shared at that point so i don't i don't love the theatrical oh i didn't draw what i needed to try to set up the blowout the next turn even even if you don't say i didn't draw what i needed you're just implying that based on what you're revealing your opponent because i think that is actually kind of where some people might draw the line like if you look at your opponent and say i didn't draw a key card dang it that is a little bit different than just looking disappointed intentionally i think <laughs> i mean which i mean I yeah. think it just shows like the gray area here yeah no and, and like i said i i'm i'm the gregarious smiling like i'm pretty much smiling the entire game so i'm that's my poker face i'm just smiling so i'm just trying to give up i'm just trying to be as consistent throughout the game as possible so my opponent really doesn't get a read one way or the other because like if you do i mean if you do do that if you show disappointment when you draw like i mean that's another tell that you can give off if somebody plays with you enough and you're always act disappointed when you draw the card that you really needed then that's a tell that you probably actually did draw the card you really needed so i don't know i just i feel like the even keel like just kind of smile and play the game like in the long run just leads to less information your opponent can pick up from you and just makes for a more pleasant game where somebody doesn't feel like oh he like hoodwinked me with that little like sigh making me think he didn't have it so i didn't kill his one untamed creature that he needed to reap with to get to seven personally uh i'm on the other side of this one i think both you cut throat (laughs) i think both cases are fine in the live game i mean having said that i would be less likely to do that at a local chain bound tournament especially playing against like a new player than i would at a vault tour trying to you know make my way into day two or in day two um and, and part of that is because of exactly what you said like all, all, all this is is giving your opponent more information and they may very well be able to use that against you right if they feel like okay that was acting then now like you've told them that you did draw it where you would have been better off doing nothing. And I think like, because it can go either way, it's not always going to be benefiting you at the cost of your opponent. Uh, to me, it's okay. But I also come like come to Keyforge from a background in magic where I feel like it just because of the structure of that game where you can interrupt your opponent's turn with actions uh, like that sort of dramatic uh, manipulation where you're really trying to get your opponent to do something uh, is, is is like a fundamental part of the game. And I, I can see where people are coming from because Keyforge doesn't have those core mechanics of interrupting your opponent, uh, why people wouldn't like it. So I'm not saying that you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that you're cutthroat. <laughs> I just come from a different... A different place on this one. Yeah. No, I mean, I came from the same background. I, I played the Magic Circuit and did all that. But I, I mean, even even then in Magic, again, like I just level keel, really reveal nothing, just smile, have a good time. Um, I was just all about just no information. I didn't want my opponent to know whether I did or didn't have it because I think that just throws more wonder for them rather than the theatrics. But um, yeah, and like the other thing we'll just say really quick too is like if you're playing like a new player and you're trying to pull this kind of stuff, please don't do that. We need this community to grow. Like this game is amazing. Our community is amazing. And I think that's half the reason the community continues to grow. But man, like angle shooting some of these things with these kinds of like theatrics and stuff can really turn somebody off really quick if they show up for their first event and they feel like, you know, somebody like mind tricked them into playing something poorly and they lose a game because of it. Um, 
yeah, that just does not feel good. And we want to promote uh, promote the community, promote the game, and help it grow. Well, I think that's an excellent segue to the second part of our topic here, uh, where we're going to want to do a, a little bit of a continuation of a topic we had before on uh, fair play and good sportsmanship. So manipulation, deception uh, can certainly be things that could cause somebody to have a bad time. So as Andrew said, you have to be really careful uh, with that. Know the setting, know the place, know your opponent. Uh, if, if you're you know, in a win and end game to day two at a vault tour, that's different than the first round of a local chain bound event uh, with somebody you've never seen before at that store. Uh, so, so in all that, that's going to be really key. But we want to continue on from that and talk a little bit update on some things that have come up from the vault tour and other things uh, that just might help make more of these Keyforge games fun uh, for for both parties. Yep. All right. So we have fair play and good sportsmanship. So when we enter a game of Keyforge in real life or on TCO or wherever we're playing, we're entering into a social contract with our opponent to have a good game, to have a good time. Um, I mean, that's the biggest part of it. Um, the winning, losing, that's just going to sort itself out. But I mean, everybody comes to play this game, to play this game, to have a good time. And so we want to do our best to promote a good time for both sides while you're playing in these tough, well-fought games to three keys. Um, saying that, we have all played in our gaming history, or if you haven't, you are super lucky and need to get out and play more in real life, kind of like me that you played against that person that was just like super cutthroat from the beginning. And it was just super, like it just makes the game super awkward because they're just kind of hawking every little thing you do, pouncing on any little potential like misstep you might take, like they're pointing something out you didn't do right or just, you know, and it makes, it does not make the game fun. It just kind of makes, I mean, it makes you anxious because that person's just, I mean, it bordering on mean, like <laughs> intense to the point of being mean and it just does not make for a wonderful way to play the game. Right. And and that said, even keeping with being a good opponent, promoting the game, like there are times when you might be forced to sort of police something. Um, so we want to talk through a few scenarios on when it might be okay to do that and when maybe you should just let something go. So the first one that comes up the most commonly is take backs. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the most conditional on the level of event at, at a chain bound tournament or below. I will always allow take backs like within reason um, because I just want people to have fun and play the game. And there's just nothing on the line right. really besides a, a shard or maybe a deck here or there, but a chain, there's a chain on the line, Jake. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, that said, if, if, if it's a, a vault tour, that's very different. Uh, so we actually, I guess I actually had one scenario in the vault tour, as I talked about last episode, where my where Ben, my opponent in the top eight, play, chose one house and then asked to switch to his other house before playing any cards. And I allowed it in my round four uh, when I was playing against Kira Mode from Bouncing Death Quark podcast. He played this played a Shuler, stole one of my Amber, and then asked if it was okay with me if he went back and picked up his archive. And at that point, I said no, because like, you know, he'd already played a card, had already resolved an action from it. So 
that that would to me was different because like we had already moved well past that step versus like being still currently in that step. So even within the same level event, I think different circumstances may allow for take backs or not. Yeah, and I mean the big the big clarification there was a card was played. Like yeah, like just once you played the card, like you've actually moved in the rules past the point where you're allowed to pick up your archives. And I mean that's yeah. At a VT level, yeah, you've got to know the rules and just got to make sure you do everything in the right order of operations. Apparently on the declaring a house one, two in Jake's situation, the judge left it up to Jake to decide whether or not to allow his opponent to rewind. Um, And Jake was noble enough to allow Ben to go back and select the house that wouldn't lose him the game on the spot. So good on you, Jake, for allowing that. Um, Just just barely noble enough. (laughs) um yeah but again like even at chain bound levels like if you're playing against a known opponent both of you like have attended vts like i think it's okay to like hold each other to a higher higher standard in the chain bound events since you know you're gonna go be playing vts but yeah if you're playing like a newer player or somebody that just shows up for the local chain bounds trying to smash them against like the letter of the law on the rules a lot of times just doesn't really foster good feelings or goodwill Uh, we had some people just kind of make the point in the discord too i'll just say that like um, they're more prone to no take backs because they felt it would help the person learn the game better by just you know getting smacked by a couple of those and just allows for more skill and experience to be gained that way by not allowing the take back because if you allow the take back it's like the mistake didn't happen but if you don't allow the take back and then it you know it happened and they will probably probably learn from it maybe a little bit better so i mean you can kind of go both ways but just know your opponent yeah i think Hawk made a really good point in the discord too to sort of ease the tension if you don't want to allow for a take back if you see something happen that's probably not the way your opponent intended just to sort of like play it off in the moment as at by revealing like what has happened so i think the scenario he said was his opponent attacked into an elusive creature uh so then rather than just kind of sitting there awkwardly as your opponent starts to figure out like why you haven't removed your creature from the board uh he he likes to say as that attack's having okay which breaks elusive and now it's sort of like the opponent immediately knows what's happened and it's sort of back on to them to choose their next course of action yeah and like um, we were also talking like different effects that affect neighbors. So the classic one here with the elusive is Lamindra. I've gotten quite a few people on TCO. Well, mainly TCO. I don't get to play in real life. On TCO where I put Lamindra in between two things that aren't typically elusive and they swing their first creature into one of the neighbors of Lamindra and just kind of like, wait, what happened? I was like, Lamindra. So yeah, like this game, I mean, this game rewards being able to track a lot of things going on at the board at the same time. Like the better you're able to read what's happening on the board and then react and formulate a plan against it, that's what really, really separates the great players from the good players. Um, I'm going to throw out one for Alex, the Nick of Slots, this guy. <laughs> I love hate playing against him because his like understanding of the game and like his ability to look at your deck list and just be able to formulate the exact right plan with his deck to just not allow any of your punish cards to really hurt him is so annoying and so amazing at the same time. <laughs> I mean, oh man, like all the times I've choked on too much to protect against him just because he's able to tell when I'm like sandbagging, just barely pulling him off check and doing different little things to keep him from forging that key, trying to set up the uh, 
big TMTP turn and he just always keeps going to six and just I sit there and eat that chain on the too much to protect until I finally have to play it and then all of a sudden it's just like game over. All right, well, let's move on to talking during the match, which is another thing that people can definitely trip over. Um, I think both of us are for friendly banter. Like I, I will often crack jokes with my opponent um, or even like I was thinking about this when we were talking about the whole indicating targets ahead of time like a lot of times if i've got like a dust imp out there for instance i'll do a very sarcastic like obviously you're getting rid of the dust imp right <laughs> yeah you know and, and like the, you know that's not really manipulating my opponent because i know they're not going to choose that <laughs> yeah but it kind of lightens attention i think and just makes it a more fun experience Definitely. Um, so places where it can be bad is trying to guess what your opponent is currently holding or their plan for the next turn, like kind of saying that out loud. First off, I don't know, I think like, like known opponents, like if you if you played against somebody a bunch and you kind of both know each other's play style, it's kind of funny trying to like predict what your opponent's going to do. Just because you've played so much, you kind of have an idea of the way they play, the deck that they're playing, or just decks in general. And it's kind of fun there. It's kind of silly. But the issue is if you're playing against somebody you don't know and you're trying to guess what's in their hand, like A, you're kind of giving them free information and almost coaching them a little bit. Like <laughs> like you could be giving them really good information about things they're not really actually realizing at the moment. So if you're talking out like, hey, so you've got this sequence and I'm at seven, so if you have doorstep, you can take me to five and then reap with sequence to take me to, you know, like you can actually talk them into a really good play that maybe they wouldn't have seen if you hadn't said it. So you're giving free information away. The second part is, I mean, don't go back to them after their turn and say, oh, well, you could have done that way better this turn. Like, if you would have done like that, like, if you're not with a known opponent, if you're just doing that to some new person, that is going to make them feel so bad that, like, you just pointed out all the mistakes they just made on the last turn. Like, if you're talking after the game and, like, you know, you're talking about the game, like, and they want to know, like, hey, was there any spot where you saw I could have done something better? That's the place to bring it up, but not, like, right after the turn, like, so... If, they pass it over to you and you're like, oh, you should have gotten me off of this number or the feel bad. So generally talking about current game state out loud is not awesome because you're just giving away free information or you're just potentially feel batting your opponent. Yeah, and bringing tying this back into our earlier discussion about like kind of gaining ways to gain an advantage outside the game. Like if, if you're just like in talking incessantly while your opponent is trying to think, like that might be a way where you could really gain an advantage if you annoy them to the point that they're like not having fun um, or like losing focus on what they're trying to accomplish on their turn. Uh, but that, you know, even me, the most cutthroat person on this cast, <laughs> like that to me, that's like well out of bounds um, as any kind of like legitimate way to gain an advantage. So if, you, if you're really like trying to annoy your opponent, and get in their head or something like that. Like, I think that is for me too far. Yeah. You just need to have a couple of kids, Jake, that'll soften you out a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I know. And then like, you do need to communicate with your opponent. Like we said in our previous episode, just kind of ways to play is the open communication lines are super important, especially with all the different board effects and just cards and interactions and combos that this game comes with. Not everybody's familiar with every single combo. So kind of walking your opponent through your turn as you're playing, kind of explaining what the cards do, if there are any global effects. I mean, that's all good stuff to communicate to them. I'd much rather have my opponent kind of, you know, um, play by play their turn. So that way on my turn, like, 
like the example of Scrambler Storm, say you're having a big library access turn and you play Scrambler Storm somewhere in the middle and you pass it back to your opponent and they don't they didn't realize you played the Scrambler Storm because you played like eight cards that turn and they go to make a play with like a shadows like too much to protect because you're at 14 amber and you're like nope sorry Scrambler Storm like that's just like a super feel bad moment so just kind of stuff like that just make sure you're play by playing and everybody's aware of the current game state and what cards have been played and what maybe global effects exist as you're playing them yeah i think that was uh credit to george the champion of uh Voltor collinsville he was really great about that his deck had a lot of effects uh that controlled your ability to do stuff so rather than saying i play fog bank he'd say i play fog bank your creatures can't fight next turn and obviously like doing that didn't stop him from winning the tournament and it made it much more enjoyable to play against him uh than if you had than if i had lost because of just missing some little effect like that in the middle of a big turn so i think again this is like oh theoretically by like playing really quick and sort of trying to hide the scrambler storm like i play scramble storm and then i play this you know and then i play a lab work and archive this like really quickly like again you might be able to gain an advantage that way but i think that's very clearly against yeah. the spirit of the game uh, and I think I think that's not like a legitimate way to yep. gain an advantage. The next kind of part of talking is sometimes somebody will across the table from you say, "Oh man, if you have miasma, I'll just concede." Yeah, that puts everybody in an awkward spot because, like, if you have miasma, like you say, "Well, okay, yeah, I have it." Um, do you concede? And they're like, "Well, no, I'm not going to concede." Then you're like, well, "You just gave away free information that you had miasma." Um, <laughs> if you say nothing, does that mean you do have it? If you do say any, like, it just puts everybody in a really weird spot. So please don't ever say, if you have X card, I'll just concede to you. Yeah, this is a classic uh, magic thing, too, where people will be like, oh, like, I, I've got it, you know, like, okay, I concede. And like, people have won and lost tournaments over like a card an opponent claimed to have, but did not actually have. So, you know, and that, that, again, like, that's not cool so i really recommend not being the person that's asking that and if you're on the other side of the table and somebody does try and do something like that the best thing to do is just say do you concede you know like are you you can ask to clarify are you conceding and they're like well no it's like okay i'm gonna keep playing my turn but certainly don't feel like you need to give away any information in that way your opponent is not bound by their word there at all they could certainly be lying to you it's like a known sort of dirty play and like the worst case scenario would be like if you inverse it they're like oh i've got key charge that's game it's like i need to see i need to you need to play the key charge before this game is over because you know that so once again that is a super illegitimate way to play and i would hope that none of our listeners would would kind of stoop to that level to gain an advantage yep all right so we kind of jay kind of mentioned it but pace of play pace of play is another way you can kind of control your opponent a little bit if you're able to play very quickly and effectively sometimes that can kind of cause your opponent to also try to speed up to match your pace of play and they may not be as comfortable playing at that speed and this is it's a fair game like you're not you're not telling them to hurry up like as long as you're not goading them like hey come on come on come on like as long as you're just playing fast passing and that's kind of encouraging them to play fast and pass back like you can gain an advantage there if somebody's trying to do that to you and you don't want to play that fast realize that you don't have to play that fast you have 35 minutes in an archon and 45 in a sealed so take your time if they're playing fast let them play fast 
take your time, um, play at the pace that you're comfortable at. Cause I mean, that is a way we've had multiple people and I've even had it happen to me where I played against a quick opponent and I feel like I'm pretty good at the game and can play fast too. So we played a super fast game that I lost and I probably made at least two mistakes that I wouldn't normally make if I would have just taken a second instead of like just sequencing things out of order and, and things like that. So yeah, play at the pace you're comfortable with. Um, if you are able to play at a faster pace that can, like I said, if people try to mirror your pace, it can throw them off a little bit. And I don't think that's really, I don't think that's really dirty because you're not forcing them to play fast. You're just playing quickly. And if your opponent is playing slow, that that's kind of where it gets a little bit more trickier because like slow playing to try and get to a tie scenario or a time scenario where you can win on tie breaks where you maybe don't win the game played out like that's explicitly against the rules slow playing so while it's you know perhaps frowned upon to ask your opponent to hurry up like if they're legitimately playing like extremely slow to and you think it's intentional that's a very delicate situation at times like you know if if somebody is trying to cheat you in that way it would be appropriate to call the judge but at the same time like if it is a new player they may be playing slow because they're still learning the game and at which case like calling a judge (laughs) over and forcing them to speed up that may like turn them off of keyforge forever so i think you really just have to like know the time and the place like if it's the fifth round of the vault tour and you think your opponent is playing slow like that's probably somebody who's very familiar uh, with the deck and it's a high level versus you know a chain bound thing even if you really want to win and you think you might lose on time like that might be a case where it's just better just like swallow the l <laughs> <laughs> than turn somebody off of keyforge because of like you know the insinuation that this is like a more competitive community than it is yep definitely definitely agree there all right last one jake i think this one's yours you have a story for this one so th- this last one is is res- how to resolve random effects. Um, and the only reason I thought to include this is because I just had one moment at the Vault Tour that stands out as being kind of weird. I was playing a deck that had Subtle Maul in it. And at one point, it was actually in the fifth round. So it's the play and in round. I you know, activated my Subtle Maul and my opponent started shuffling up his hand and then just flipped one of the cards into his discard pile and it it caused me to pause because i had never seen that resolved that way like every other time in any tournament i've activated settle mall one of two things has happened either my opponent will like fan out their hand for me to choose one or they'll lay their hand out on the table and say like this is one this is six and roll a dice uh i i think out of those two like the latter is preferable as sort of like the most random way to randomly discard a card. Um, whereas the other one could on is, is a place where like reading and deception could come in more, but the way my opponent resolved it. And, and I should, to be totally fair to him, like he really did shuffle his hand, you know, quite a few times. Uh, but I, I thought in the moment that he was shuffling his hand. So I couldn't, you know, pick up on where his cards may be. And he was going to reveal it to me. So I wasn't really paying much attention to the shuffling at all. And then when he flipped the card into his discard pile, I kind of like paused. And I was fortunate because uh, Alex, uh, the Nick of Slots was right there. And I turned and I asked him, I was like, did that seem totally random to you? And he's like, oh yeah, you know, that that was random. And I was like, okay. So he kept playing after that and I felt comfortable with it. 
Yeah, that is such a great, like, I would, yeah, I would never probably self-discard my own card because, I mean, there's ways of shuffling where you can keep one of the cards on top the entire time. Like, and I'm not saying that's what he did, but I would just feel better as his opponent if he would just either, you know, play them out for me to pick one or, you know, roll the dice. Um, Because, yeah, that just, yeah, that, that opens up so many possibilities for somebody that's, like, practice shuffling a lot so they can always make sure after so many shuffles this card's on top or... You know, there's just there's so many ways to angle shoot there that just feels kind of bad. Whereas the dice or just shuffle, lay them out, feels way more random and just above above board. Yeah, and the card he discarded was like an Ixley Bolter, which was super low impact on the game. Whereas like if he had maybe turned over like a too much to protect or something, I would have felt like more confident that it was random. But like because it seemed like what he had turned over was preferable to him. It just made me think, like, wait, is that, like, you know, is is this above board? And, I, I mean, I was fortunate to have my friend there watching, so I could feel confident about it. Otherwise, I would have had to, probably had to call a judge, which then all of a sudden is putting me in the position of, like, accusing my opponent of cheating. Yeah, I don't think you ever feel bad calling a judge on that one, because I don't think that's that's not normal. Like if a lot of people did it that way, then I could maybe see it, but I don't, that seems super out of the norm for that to be the, the norm practice for a subtle mall or for like a mind barb or just anything that talks in anything that removes a random card from your opponent's hand. Yeah. It did cause like bad feelings too, which was the sad thing because then like, you know, even in asking my friend, like it felt to him, I think like I was sort of accusing him of something. Yeah. And that, I mean, (laughs) you can't, I don't think you can like, me not being the cutthroat person says that you can't feel bad about that because you did nothing to like bring that situation up that was purely based on his actions and trying to resolve subtle mall by himself, which is well. After the game, I I said like, hey man, I'm sorry about that. Like I you know I just wanted to like make sure because I wasn't paying much attention to the shuffling. And he was like, well, just so you know, it like it says your opponent discards a card at random. So it's like okay, like I guess that's technically true. It was just kind of weird. Yeah, it's, it's just. Like, whatever you want to do the best practice is just to make sure you're communicating beforehand like this is what i'm gonna do because yeah if you would have said can i shuffle up my cards and discard one like i'm pretty sure you'd probably say no like you yeah i'd be like i'd feel more comfortable if we did it this other way you know and then that would be fine well good job of handling it and yeah. you know making sure at the end of the game too that everybody was feeling all right about themselves so nice nicely done build that community um yeah that's the end of our notes any any final thoughts from you on reading your opponent playing some mind games i think part of the reason i'm more for it as part of the game in general is because i think that's one of the great things that separates this as like a live event from just playing online like i really like those live elements being a part of it it adds to my enjoyment of the game and the experience uh if there is that little bit of deception going on like it feels a little bit more like there's like a poker element where we're uh, kind of like trying to get in each other's heads, like manipulate, figure things out. Uh, like, is he playing? Is he like messing with me? So on and so forth. Like, I think that all that is like really fun and adds to my enjoyment of the game. But I totally see how it could be uh, a turn off to other people. So, I mean, that's, that's where I come from on it. I think at the end of the day, like we're not playing for big bucks here. Um, so the most important thing is just to, make sure that you and your opponent are both having fun and uh, 
we're not like cutthroat tarnishing somebody else's enjoyment of the game like for our own gains yep, that yep. shard don't ruin somebody's love of the game for a shard and a chain even though i want that chain so bad i want it so bad um yeah no and like i said i i i've always kind kind of come down on the side of you know just straight laced smile have fun friendly banter just try not to really react to anything i'm drawing or not drawing i know i've gone crestfallen a few times in recent events and that has not <laughs> not done me any favors i need to just stay even stay relaxed um that's something i did work on after my last couple of chain bound events like i don't get to go out and play irl very much but like even just playing online if you lose a couple games like just trying to stay even and just not you know when we did the tilt episode not going on tilt because once you're on tilt you're not playing very well um tilt can also be a side effect of like you know feeling like you got mind <laughs> just you got jedi mind tricked or something like that from your opponent so just got to make sure you can stay nice and even keel and just make sure uh yeah you're just aware of everything that's happening in a game and just if your opponent does have any tells um somebody else in our discord said that um, there was a player in a, I think it was one of the grand championships who, if their opponent went in check, he would, um, look at the card in his hand that could pull off the person from check. And so the per like anybody that played against him would go to check. And then if he looked at a card in his hand, they knew that they yeah, had the answer. And if he didn't look at a card, then they could burst up a little bit higher. So just, I mean, <laughs> it's weird to like find, like, it's hard to spot those things. Like it's not going to be super obvious, but if you do find a tell from somebody like that, like it can be a big advantage. And I think one other thing we uh, that we missed in the Discord, uh, if your opponent's drawing cards in a way that like reveals the cards to you or they're holding their hand in such a way that it reveals cards to you, um, is that up to you to notify them? Yeah, that's a good one. Like they're holding their cards at an angle so you can literally see what's in their yeah. hand. And I mean, I think as part of fair play, like... I mean, you're going to have that information from the time you see it, but I would definitely let my opponent, I'm like, hey, like, I can see your cards. You might want to hold them up a little bit more. Like, I'm not trying to, like, <laughs> I guess there was somebody in Magic that, like, intentionally sat up high because they were a bit taller so they could see over people's hands. He would perch up in his chair like an owl. <laughs> and people thought it was just, like, a weird quirk. And then I guess it was revealed that, like, no, he was trying to look at his opponent's hand. <laughs> so don't, don't do that. Don't <laughs> intentionally try to see people's hands. I know I have a friend that every time they shuffle, the way they bring their deck back they always reveal the bottom card of their deck and i've pointed it out to them but it's so ingrained in the way they shuffle their magic player as well like every time they shuffle i know what the bottom card of their deck is because it's the way he brings it back he like flips it up towards you and brings it back for whatever reasons so yeah you can let them know but yeah that's free information given to you but just yeah like if they're drawing their cards in a way that you're seeing every card they draw like the first couple times they do it i mean i'd probably let them know and the the minute i see a card as they draw it i'd be like hey when you draw it like that you know you're like revealing it to me all right well this has been another episode of sanctimonious my name is jake friedman you can find me on twitter at j-a-k-e-f-r-y-d i've been trying to be more active and tweet a lot of good keyforge stuff so give me a follow yeah, and you can find me, I'm Danis Someone, D-A-N-I-S-S-O-M-E-1, on Twitter, Twitch, and in the Discord. Um, I'm pretty active on the Discord and Twitter a little bit, so yeah, check me out there, and Twitch is kind of falling by the wayside a little bit here with uh, the second child, but hopefully someday we'll find some more time to squeeze that back in again, because it is fun. Um, thank you again to all our Patreons, if this is worth anything to you, we'd be glad to accept 
any meager offering to continue to do this. We really enjoy doing this and like the fact that we are getting some support while doing it makes it even more. I don't know, it's just, wow, thank you. <laughs> just thank you. All comms of the Crucible. When you go into battle, go with honorable intentions. Go for the glory. Go for the honor. Go for the fair game and forge those keys.